welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you on. Uh, I am really looking forward to this conversation because um, you and I really, first of all, we have been vibing off of the Virgo energy. <laughs> Just <laughs> had to bring that one up. Together. <laughs> <laughs> you knew that was coming. You knew of that course. was coming. Um, but also the work that we do, there's also energy around and synergy around the work and the impact we're looking to make. And so would love for you to just open up with an intro, tell us who you are, what you do, and the impact you're looking to make on the world. All right. Thanks, uh, Angela. You know, outside of the Virgo connection that we got, <laughs> um, you know, so for me, I've been doing my work uh, predominantly within urban planning for just over 20 years. And you know, and I've and I've spanned any everywhere from Los Angeles to Edmonton to the Greater Toronto area doing this work, and also you know in the in the spheres of uh, transportation and housing, and those are the two biggest areas when it comes to inequities and inequalities, whether it's in policy, how we build, what we build, etc. And it's not just racial; it's also accessibility issues and whatnot. So you know, growing up. Uh, with my lived experience as a as a mixed uh, ancestry uh, person growing up in social housing, I was very observant as to what was going on in my neighborhood. And, you know, from the time initially I, I was saying to myself, hey, you know, I, I want to be a bus driver. And I played with uh, I played with a, a broken scooter wheel to printing out as a bus driver. So I knew I was kind of wanting to get into that whole planning space. And then, and then, you know, as time went on going through university and whatnot, um, I realized that I have this passion towards, you know, changing, uh, whether it's from an organizational perspective to, to the lower level, um, you know, from the, from the grassroots level. And, and that's why I initially got into this work of, uh, of planning. Um, and, and so what I'm trying to do is actually change the dynamic of how do we approach planning from a Canadian perspective? And, you know, and we can go on for this uh, for, you know, throughout the podcast and, um, you know, and I've, and I've gone into the whole part of the DEI and how do we, how do we bring diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging into the profession? So that's that organizational perspective of, of, uh, of the, from the planning side. So, and it relates to a lot of other organizations and what they're going through. So a lot of my work uh, uh, overlaps with what's, what we're experiencing today. And so this is the impact I'm trying to do in terms of not only internally from an organizational perspective, from a DEI perspective, but as well as from a, from a, um, you know, from a policy perspective, a talent perspective, and what we're trying to do to change your change the industry. And it's not just me who's doing it. There's other people that are doing it within the Canadian uh, frame. So um, kudos to kudos to, to those people who are, are trying to change the narrative, but I'm here to contribute to that as well. I love that. And uh, I do want to highlight that you're Canadian because <laughs> I think that's going to enrich our conversation today about DEI, racism, sexism, classism, all the isms, because we live in two different countries mm -hmm. and uh, the, the, the context, the background is different. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think throughout this episode, we'll be kind of uh, 
vibing off of um, kind of our lived experiences in this yeah. space, which is going to be really cool. Mm -hmm. um, but what really like interests me in your work is the fact that I do not have an urban planning background, but I can easily see the system of urban planning um, within a community really mirroring how I do my work mm -hmm. from a organizational perspective, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm really just working within an ecosystem, mm -hmm. uh, which you are also doing, and you're kind of pairing it up with DE&I. So give, give us some perspective as to how you kind of make the connection between urban planning, um, the work that you do in urban planning, but also DE&I within an organization. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question, Angela. So, you know, looking at it from the grassroots level, comparing it to what happens in the U.S., we see, uh, you know, in the U.S., we had seen, uh, you know, teardowns of neighborhoods and what they called urban renewal in the 50s so they can build uh, highways across the country and within our cities, within Chicago, within New York, within Los Angeles, et cetera, because the car was the domination uh, at that time. And so when you start to see that, and of course that didn't really happen here um, because of the fact, um, you know, Jane Jacobs, who is a, who is a, who's the classic um, activist within the planning circles, she didn't want the same thing happening in, in Toronto, for instance. Um, mm -hmm. So, so there was some community backlash behind that. And we didn't have that same movement of highways, uh, going through our cities and going over neighborhoods and whatnot. Um, but you still have the same issues of gentrification. Um, you know, you still have that within a community perspective. So you're starting to see a lot of the, uh, you know, the class disparities, the race disparities, the uh, income disparities, etc. And you start to see the similarities to what's happening in the U.S., um, and so from a, from an organizational perspective, this is where we start from what is happening at the top, where, what is, you know, what have we, uh, what have we uh, done from a leadership perspective and from an organizational perspective to allow that to percolate to our communities and mm -hmm. the people that are not hired in leadership levels do not represent the communities. The people at the uh, entry level do represent the community communities, but they're not able to influence that change. So we see that we see that in the private sector. Right? We see that, and we're still seeing that that um, uh, that issue coming to hand. But also, and as we meant, as I as I spoke with you before, it's you know we Canadians tend to tend to do this, uh, you know, it takes them a little while to get to this point. And, and so there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues there within an organization that, that still are percolating to the, to the grassroots level um, from a Canadian perspective, but there's people out there that are, that are doing the work. So I think that's where, you know, that's where it starts. Um, and then we, and then, uh, and yeah, and then you, then of course you can see the relationship between, between the two in terms of, in terms of that. And how do we change that? Yeah. And you talk about accessibility and I think, you know, I can't help but think about kind of this, uh, new wave of hybrid working and how mm -hmm. that's, so let me see if I can articulate this, uh, the way it's happening in my head. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, one of the things that we talk about with hybrid working is that it levels the playing field in some cases, 
when it comes to access to certain jobs. So Mm -hmm. you no longer have to live in Silicon Valley. um, And, you know, for someone who cannot afford a million dollar uh, house or condo in Silicon Valley, I can now work in Ohio and and have a tech job, right? And and reap the benefits Mm -hmm. of that role. When in the past, you know, we had an urban planning, a general planning issue where you had to live where you worked and the accessibility really, I can't help but think about the context of neighborhoods and gentrification and how that might've impacted people's accessibility to certain Mm -hmm. positions or certain roles or organizations because of where they lived. Mm -hmm. And so are you seeing like that conversation being had from an urban planning perspective, the connection between that and the workplace? So let me, let me, enlighten enlighten the audience a little bit here so this first of all this conversation has been around for decades Mm -hmm. and this is more of a conversation around um commuting to work right and and there is always so there's there's uh you know the active transportation circles there's um you know how does business contribute to to this and are you going to allow um flexible schedules at work etc so this conversation has been around for years. It took a pandemic for mm. businesses to realize that, hey, we have the technology to do this. Why don't we do this? But at the same time, what we're starting to see is that those people who decide to move to, you know, outside of the city or to an uh, to another another province or in the U.S. another state to do this work, there's tax implications on an organization. There's um, you know, and of course, there's the whole insecurity of leaders in that they want them to come back to work. I mean, they're not at the level of the Elon Musk's craziness of, you know, we're demanding people to go back to work. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, um, but there are those organizations who are telling them, OK, we're going to we're, we're OK with flexibility in doing, you know, a two, three, three, two kind of model. So, um so these are the, so accessibility so accessibility is is in my mind accessibility more means um you know the the you know the the people in it who are who are who have mobility issues right um mm-hmm. in terms of those in scooters etc so it's more about equal mobility and are we able to are we able to 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 have them come to work, are we able to to provide um, provide that technology? Are we able to save the environment, especially given the fact that we're in a climate change uh, world or, cli- or now considered a climate uh, climate emergency, if you will? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that coming in, in into this. So uh, you know, those are the things that organizations are thinking about, and. You know, and also, too, you have to, you know, a little bit off of a tangent here is the fact that leaders need to be flexible in that work, right? Whether regardless if you're in urban planning or you're in healthcare or in whatnot, you have to fully grasp the idea of what you as a leader are doing to uh, to be flexible and understand what the hybrid environment looks like. Do you lead in a hybrid environment? Do you develop, uh, you know, can you you know, a lot of, a lot of organizations, for example, they tend to, 
you know, a lot of them want them the collaborative environment because that's the way they, they think that things to be done, but you can be collaborative in this environment, right? So there's so many factors involved when it comes to this work and it's just, you know, and it overlaps, like I say, from an organizational level to, mm -hmm. to the ground level. Yeah. And it's these paradigms that, you know, I, I think we're all grappling with now, which is checking in on why, why do I believe that? Why do I believe productivity needs to happen in a mm -hmm. physical space? Uh, but I think what you're saying is, is deeper. What we're saying together is deeper than that, which is saying, this is not just about ways of working collaboration. This is, there's also a ripple effect to you asking, let's say all your employees to be in an office in a certain location. There are contextual pieces that could, cr could create inequities because of that decision, mm -hmm. other than just, we can't collaborate, right? And, yeah. and that's where I feel like, you know, urban planning is this, is this piece that like, people, don't, people don't think about. Climate change is this piece, this ripple effect that we don't think about. Like, mm -hmm. how am I impacting the environment, society, and mm -hmm. the humans on my team? Right, and, and you know, you start to see where the inequities are, especially, and now they're more profound when it comes to uh, uh, those who are who are working in service level employees mm. and the commuting patterns. They still have to be front facing right. employees, right? So there's that inequity of, you know, someone like you and I who are who are you know from an intersectional lens, we're able bodied, we're you know mm -hmm. we're uh, you know we we either own a car or. or you know, or can take transit, um, you know, educated, all that stuff. And whereas someone from a different perspective, you start to see those inequities of, you know, the education level. There's oftentimes, especially in the U.S., we're talking about race um, and, and whatnot. So uh, so you start to see those those playing out um, and how urban planning has has contributed to those inequities. Right. So so those are the things we need to we need to really think about. Yeah. And so I, I did want to kind of pause and just, uh, you know, kind of acknowledge the fact that again, you're, you're, you're from, Can you're currently living in Canada, you're Canadian, I'm from the US. And um, oftentimes, I think it's really important that especially us from the US, we understand the global context of things like racism, mm -hmm. of sexism, of classism, mm -hmm. of colorism. Mm -hmm. um, so help enlighten the audience on like, what are the issues you're grappling with from a Canadian perspective? Um, and how might they differ from what we're grappling with in the US? Um, you know, there isn't, I wouldn't say there's that much of a difference with the exception mm -hmm. of the fact that there's, you know, there's blatant in your face racism in the US versus behind your back covert racism that exists in the Canadian perspective. So you'll see it in not just, you know, this is just more of an organizational perspective or just in, in general in, in how we live everyday life of people will not tell you or they'll just imply racism or some sort of racist trope to your, mm -hmm. to your face or to other people. Um, but also they're hidden in the policies that we've, or the programs that we've implemented over the years. Now that's more of a comparison, uh, to, to what the U S has done over the years where, you know, that's the same thing. It's the, you know, 
you know, going back to an urban planning perspective, you know, there's the zoning, uh, there's the urban renewal, all that stuff, right? As I mentioned earlier. So, so really, you know, there's that, there's a difference, but there's still a lot of similarities when it comes to the classism, the colorism that exists, the inequities, um, you know, between gender and sec uh, sexual identity and all that. So we, we, from a global perspective, no matter what, those are the issues. From a mm -hmm. North American perspective, the only the only really big difference is, um, you know, is is the is the way racism is is conveyed in a whether it's a personal setting or a professional setting. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, it's important to talk about those differences because you know we do have organizations that are. I mean, I know there's a lot of similarities, but just you know the the context um, as to where these things originated how how the systems were built and who they weren't built for right. um might be different so right. we're dealing with the same things but uh you know for example we were talking earlier you know the us is kind of riddled with um slavery mm -hmm. uh not that that didn't happen in canada but you all have a you know history with uh, indigenous people um and so tell us that because I, I i just started learning about that history um <laughs> So tell us a little bit about that too, and how that maybe connects to urban planning and yeah. the workplace too. Yeah. So um, from an indigenous perspective, you know, without getting to a lot of the history, and uh, you know, I'll just summarize it as much as I as much as I can, or be as brief as possible. Um, so with the indigenous peoples, they were, you know, at that, you know, during the during the early days of of colonialism, if you will. Uh, you know, they came into the country and, uh, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say they, it's, you know, the English, the French, uh, they came into the, to the country and, and were seeking the new world and whatnot, interacted with indigenous people and then, you know, took over. Um, and then after that, when it came to, uh, when it came to Confederation, which was eight in 1867, uh, and later on there was, there was, a there was a, a legislation called the Indian Act, which, which was meant to be an act that was supposed to, uh, you know, supposed to supposed to level the playing field, and I use that in air quotes, but it doesn't. It actually mm -hmm. created more inequities. And then from there, there was the establishment of of the residential schools all over Canada, which took away a lot of who took away a lot of the, you know, the children from their parents and brought them into, into, uh, you know, into these residential schools. And you hear such a, and now the, now the, 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 uh, the, the, the news and the issues are, are coming out where, mm -hmm. you know, where children were uh, missing and murdered and it still exists even in, even today, where you'd see in, in, in a lot of cities where there were missing and murdered indigenous women. Um, and so, so that, that is something that has been brought to light. Um, so, so in that, we also have the, uh, what most recently within the last five to seven years was the, uh, truth and reconciliation commission that the, that the, the federal government had put together. And there are 94, I believe, uh, 94 recommendations within there that talk about how do we how do we engage with communities how do we create equity within the within the indigenous community um, you know economic development uh, uh, issues involved etc cetera, etc cetera. so there's all of that so 
from an urban planning perspective is how do we, you know, we are not the, you know, we're not the, we're not technically in a, in a, in a, in a term, you know, we're not the land, own, we don't own the land here, right? With the, the term that's being called is the stolen land, right? Mm. And so, um, so now how do we reconcile with the committee? How do we give back to the community? So there's a lot of engagement with these communities and, and that's from an urban planning perspective is, you know, how do we meet them on their terms? Because indigenous cultures are different from normal, uh, you know, normal British white cultures. So how do we bridge the gap between the two communities and how do we, um, how do we create a partnership in terms of reconciling, um, uh, reconciling and building communities, or I should say, or, or the more common term, co-create communities uh, with Indigenous people in mind, uh, given the fact that it is their land that, that we need to respect. So, uh, so uh, and also too, there's, a, uh, you know, on top of that, there's the UN resolution that talks about the the recognition of indigenous peoples uh that mm -hmm. a lot of organizations have been following um falling under and that's what the profession is doing as well is um you know understanding that the the you know the un uh the un resolution is also something that we need to think about in terms of how do we reconcile uh with indigenous populations so We've been ahead of the game as opposed to, you know, what's happening in the U.S. when it comes to uh, indigenous issues. I mean, it's not just about casinos, right? It's there's a lot more than 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 that, and uh, and this is where we need to uh, we need to build that part. We need to continue to build that partnership, and we're doing that. We're and uh, and there's apologies involved. There's um, there's other aspects of of reconciliation that we're uh, that we're trying to do, not only as an organization, but also as professionals, even in the planning field. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's, um, I, I know that that sliver of kind of an overview you gave is, you know, I mean, there's so much underneath it. Um, so, you know, I'm sure the experience of all of that from, you know, someone, for example, who's uh, an indig indigenous person listening to this, it, there's so much more layers and context mm -hmm. to that. And I think that gets to, how do we ensure that different identities within organizations are not just acknowledged? Because I think we struggle with just the acknowledgement. Like right. the fact that you just talked about like the acknowledgement that we're on stolen land, the acknowledgement that we, we owe you an apology. I mean, it's just the acknowledgement we struggle with. So let's get to some action because I, I mm -hmm. do like to kind of wrap up our conversation with some things that people can can do, especially, you know, lead, leaders of organizations may be listening to this, community leaders may be listening to this. So with your experience with urban planning, with your experience with DE&I and, and understanding how that works within organizations, what are some things that you can do um, or start to think about differently so that you can create more equity within your organization and ensure that your platform is also driving equity and inclusion mm -hmm. with your customers, your partners, your suppliers, you know, your whole ecosystem. Right. So this is a, this is a huge, um, a huge conversation. Um, you know, when it comes to your suppliers, 
ensure, you know, one thing you need to do is ensure that there's, you know, there's equitable statements and you start to, within your, within your tenders to start to say, um, you know, we want to represent our communities. This is who we want to have in our tenders in terms of, in terms of black communities, in terms of, in terms of indigenous communities, in terms of gender, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, you want to have that, that, uh, that perspective within your, within your tenders. Then from an organizational perspective, you want to have those, uh, those uh, embedded in your codes of conduct. Uh, you want to ensure that you, you do the same thing as you do in other organizations where you're looking at, um, you know, your ERGs, you're looking to, you're looking to, to have that talent pipeline through mentoring, through spon sponsoring black and, uh, um, you know, talented women in, in the, in the workplace and help them advance instead of putting them, you know, putting them into uh, middle management or even, you know, or don't even advance them to management positions or even to directors and whatnot. So have those, have those in place. Uh, and then you talk about it from, from the professional perspective, you know, uh, the, the playing profession is accredited. So a lot of times, uh, Know, like for instance, I just the other day I was making a presentation to stu uh, urban um, masters urban planning students, and I was giving them the statistics, and in and within the statistics I also said that we're still not at the same level as you know the American uh, the American Institute of Certified Planners, where in their code of conduct they have a whole bunch of factors, uh, sorry, a whole bunch of uh, language when it comes to mm -hmm. addressing racism, sexism, and creating equity within the planning profession, we're not there yet. And so that's where, that's where we need to, we need to get, uh, get more involved from a, from a, you know, from the planning perspective, because the planners in and in themselves represent the communities, they build for those mm -hmm. communities. And then finally, you know, one of the things I want to say too is about education. And so, um, you know, if we're not, if we're continuously talking about the same policies, the same histories that that created these inequities, then it becomes a problem. So this just becomes a revolving cycle of what are we teaching our students? And I know that some schools are starting to get the message and they're starting to build um, build courses around social and racial equity but we're still not there yet, but at least there's the, the, you know, there's the talk of that happening. So I think that's the, you know, those are the, those are the most important things that, that, that are required uh, in terms of, in terms of how organizations can, uh, you know, can start the conversation uh, and then how do they, you know, how do they translate from those who are want to get into these organizations by, by feeding them that information of, look, this is what's happened how do we improve organizations from the bottom up, but also how do we improve the organizations from the top down, understanding that these are the leaders that have perpetuated the racism, the sexism, et cetera, and brought them down to, to, to the communities themselves and created inequitable, inequitable policies and whatnot. So, so it's an it's a ecosystem, as you alluded to before, of how do we bring, uh, how do we make change within, within an organization, regardless if it's planning or not? Right. And, and I think you talk about this ripple effect, right, between each of the sectors, which is, you know, private sector, public sector, um, and education. 
And, you know, I think all too often businesses, whether they're in the public sector or private sector, they kind of just like narrow in and they don't think about the other parts of the ecosystem. And so that is, you know, that's why we are talking about social responsibility at work, because we're yeah. talking about the workplace, but there is a connecting point. There's the education, right, is a pipeline into who enters the workforce and the right. workforce has to operate in the context of a society. Uh, so you have to think about those three things, like a Venn diagram that just overlap each other. And so I, I love what you're saying. Um, you know, this could probably be like three podcast episodes because I have so many other questions, but, um, I think you've given us some things to think about. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you bringing your perspective, your diverse perspective, not only from your life experience, but also where you're living, um, and also from your industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, really excited to, to share this episode. And if you could just let everybody know where to find you, um, if they want to reach out to you, if they want to use you as a resource or, or hire you for a project, where can they find you? Sure. So, uh, so I could be found on LinkedIn and on Instagram, uh, urban equity consulting. And, uh, and also you can find me on, on the various channels, uh, under Andre Darmanin, uh, whether it's, you know, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Instagram, et cetera, you can find me on there uh, and uh, and connect with me on there in terms of, you know, in terms of any future work, if you want to ask me any questions, if you, or even just want to just riff about different, uh, different topics that intersect and how do they intersect even in public health or even in, in uh, transportation or, you know, interdisciplinary issues and whatnot. So I'm, I'm open to those conversations and also to, um, you know, as a shameless plug, if you will, I am the host of uh, the Global Conversations podcast that starts in 2023. And I'll be having probably some same guest as you um, and talking about DEI issues from from a global perspective, because, you know, um, I guess the last thing I want to say is that going back to our initial conversation about, you know, the American perspective is that because the American perspective is a is is feeds into the media. Uh, sorry, the media feeds into what Canadians uh, uh, listen to or watch and whatnot. It's just becomes this silo effect. And so now I wanted to bring people from outside of that silo to say, what is going on? What can we learn from you in places like Australia in terms of the EMEA area, APAC, et cetera, et cetera? How, what do we bring from their perspective into what you're doing and how do you change organizations? Because it's not all about the US, it's not all about Canada, it's about a global perspective. Love it. Love it. Well, Andre, thank you so much for your time, your brilliance. Thanks for sharing it with my audience and uh, hope to have you on the podcast soon. Bye.